You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How you doing today? All right, now we're going to run, now we're going to keep that going a little bit, all right, and say, great, I'm doing well uh, as well, but I'm going to start a timer so that I'm not here all day, uh, and you're not here all day, more importantly, but hey, um, yeah, let's go. We're going to continue our time in worship today by spending some time in the Word, asking the Lord to speak to us. Uh, we constantly say that, uh, and, and it's for a purpose. We believe the Lord speaks to us in this time and that it leads us to worship Him, to, to seek Him, to love Him, and to, to, to allow us to understand how much He loves us. Uh, and so this is an important time, an important time of worship and drawing near to the Lord. And I'm actually a bit sad to continue our time in worship today, excited, but also sad, uh, because today is actually my final sermon in this time we've had in the book of Galatians. Next week, Sean uh, will be finishing us up uh, next week for context. I have like two papers for seminary that I got to turn in. Plus, I'm helping out at like the crew. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's not a crew member here. Okay, yeah, that's right, that's right. I knew there's somebody. We like I have. I, we our church has several people that love crew, uh, but like it crews 24 hour thing, and so I'll be like speaking at that on Saturday. And so at that like that uh, kind of snowball of stuff has left me looking at Sean like, hey bro, like can you finish up? And he of course was like, absolutely, man. But it makes me sad because it means. Um, that this is my last Sunday talking about Galatians in this time that we've had in Galatians. Uh, and Sean and I have both felt this sense uh, as week goes on after week, like, man, we're leaving too much on the bone. But we only set aside six weeks to work through uh, the book. And to be honest, uh, there's so much in a book like Galatians to the point that you could spend uh, months in a book like this and really uh, still only be scratching the surface of so much of the powerful things that are happening here. And so as much as, uh, as we would love to give the book of Galatians like months uh, we are a new church plant, and consequently, we're like building culture like right now. We're like building an identity like right now. Like this is a part of what we're doing right here, you know? And so we have a lot of things we have to cover, limiting the amount of time we have to really spend on one specific book at this stage. We're praying that obviously as, uh, as the future, as we move on in the future, we'll have time to be like, hey guys, we're gonna take a year to go through Exodus, right? That's like every preacher's dream. Yeah, see? That's like every preacher's dream. Like, we're gonna spend like nine months on something. But right now, as we continue, to build this identity together as a church, uh, we have several topics that we want to cover so that we can begin to learn how to build on top of the gospel identity we've received, right? And how that really works uh, as a church body together, how we put that into play together as a church body. And, and so we really don't have the ability to work through something for months, but it's been a blessing, I think, to be in the book of Galatians. It's encouraged my heart a lot. Um, and so yeah, we're excited about being able to continue today, but I'm personally a little bit sad because it's my last time being able uh, to talk about Galatians for a little bit. But uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be starting a series on our city and our community. Uh, we're going to be taking a look really at God's heart, our heart, and our vision for the city of Austin. And so as God works in us through, uh, works in us and through us for the city of Austin, uh, we, we want to be able to grasp onto that vision and the idea that God is working through us and that we uh, are called to steward the community that we're in, to steward, love, and serve the community and the city that we're in. 
And so as we head into a, a holiday season, we're really, uh, although we're going to start thinking about things like uh, gifts and we're going to start thinking about things like uh, holidays and, and family time and things like that, there will be several people uh, in our community, maybe even in a community like Dove Springs, like uh, maybe a, a huge uh, percentage that's going to start thinking about what they don't have. Uh, and so right before we go into that holiday season, thinking about all those different things like gifts and family, and we kind of take a step back and start kicking it a little bit, we want to take a moment before we get there to really process through what it means for us to steward the community that God has put us in and to love and serve that community well, especially in times when we're thinking about ourselves, but other people are thinking about their need. And honestly, at times we're thinking about our abundance how we can really work through that well and still love people well. And so uh, after Sean finishes up Galatians next week, we're going to head into three weeks talking about that, and then we'll get into the Christmas season. So that's kind of the rest of the year laid out. Uh, but um, it's kind of just wanted to give you that context as, as for what we're doing next, but also uh, to really show you this is a bit of like uh, what it means for us to, as a church, as a young church plant, building a sense of identity about what it looks like to, to, to walk out our gospel identity, Right. Like, like what that means. When I say that, it's like, okay, that sounds good. What does it mean? What well, means like thinking directly about how to serve our community. Like what the consequences of the fact that God has saved us and now we're going to go uh, and steward and serve our community. That's kind of what we're talking about when we say that. Okay, so anyway, uh, today I, I, I went way side tangent on that, but I kind of got passionate about it. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, but today we're going to continue in Galatians and we're going to start by building on the idea of gospel identity in a powerful way. And so this is going to actually serve a lot of that purpose. But up until this point, we've largely talked about freedom. Right. We've talked about the freedom we have in Christ, freedom from cultural and performance standards, freedom to enjoy God as his son or as his daughter. But if you're anything like me, this can still even though we're hearing this good news week in and week out, it can still be a bit of a struggle because the enjoying oftentimes is in conflict uh, with the experience. You heard me say this a few weeks ago, right, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, that there, there is a, a, a conflict in our hearts and minds because we know we're supposed to be enjoying God, but our experience of feeling like we failed God, just they keep on seeming to run into each other over and over and over again. And so the enjoying is often in conflict with the experience because I can know, hear me, I can know that I'm accepted as a son but continue to fail. I can know that. And listen to me, hear me. In fact, look at me. You can know you're a daughter and a son of God and still continue to fail. And though we fight the good fight of remembering our identity, when we do fail, we also know that we desire to grow in our spiritual walk, right? That we desire to, to hold in tension uh, this reality that I want to be obedient. I want to faithfully follow Jesus. I want those things. So it can be frustrating and downright discouraging when I know my identity. I know what God has done for me. I love Jesus. I come to church. I worship. I read my Bible every single morning. And man, when I'm on fire, I might even give up food for like five hours. And then all of a sudden, I get to this point where I'm in front of a temptation that has taken me over and over again. And I fail and succumb again. It can be heartbreaking. It can be infuriating. And honestly, hear me, most of the time, this is the reason why we return to this idea of the law. This is the honest to God truth, right? Is that 
Most of the time, we feel such discouragement, we feel such failure, that we begin to grasp for anything that can tell us, man, you're doing all right. And all of a sudden, we jump back and say, well, let me get a list of things that I'm supposed to be doing. And if I can start tackling those things, maybe my, my, I can like encourage myself a little bit. And all of a sudden, we're right back into this rhythm because the moment we fail one, we're back discouraged and we've forgotten who we are as son, daughter, uh, right, saved, completely redeemed. This is the cycle we find ourselves in. And it's hard. It's heavy. I know we went from kind of laughing and then I brought the heaviness. And now all of a sudden everybody's like, dude, you're giving me like this really hard look in the mirror right now. But, but hear me, this is important because the problem is that when we return to the law, it doesn't address the heart of what's happening. When we return, hear me again, when we return to the law like that, it doesn't address uh, the heart of what's happening. We start to put these things in a place to say, Lord, help me figure out how to grow, how to constrain the bad behavior that's so discouraging to my heart, that's so frustrating to my heart. And so we come back and we submit ourselves to a few rules that either we've made up or we've pulled from the Bible, and we, we try to constrain uh, those hurtful or damaging behaviors. But the thing is, it doesn't heal the heart that's motivating those behaviors. It doesn't change us on the inside. Uh, hear me, this is often, if you're a parent, or even if you've been a child, someone's child, which I think everybody in here has had that experience to some extent or the other. This is, this is often similar to the struggles of parenthood. You want your child to act better. Uh, if you got a wild boy like me, my son is wild. Y'all know him. Y'all seen him, right? I'm not lying. <laughs> you got a wild boy and you want to say, hey, man, let's curb some of that behavior because you're wild now. Uh, and sometimes you hurt people. You bite your sister like every other day. And so... <laughs> Uh, and so we get them uh, to change their behavior, uh, to, so to get them, I should say, to change their behavior, we tell them, uh, man, stop doing that. Why? Because I said so. Right? I said stop, so just stop. Maybe we tell them you're better than that. I, I raised you better than that. So we try to leverage some shame on them and see if the shame can really like clank down the hands or, in Jude's case, close the mouth. And so we, we place some constraints of some kind on there, uh, trying to, to force them to say, hey, will you stop this type of behavior in hopes that they'll change? Yet we all know uh, that at the end of that experience, whether you know it as a parent or whether you know it as a child, uh, that this rarely works. Because once the constraints come off, right, so does the desire to withhold that type of behavior. Right? Everybody knows that feeling of like maybe you, you had some some constraints on you when you were a teenager, and then all of a sudden you got out, quote-unquote, on your own, quote-unquote, in the real world, and you were like, man, well, I'm going to do these things. I never had the chance to do them when I was little. Why? Because I was constrained. Once they're out of the house, they take those shackles off, and the behavior persists more uh, than what not to do. Children and us as well, uh, we need something to live for, right? More than just what we can't do, we need something that we should do, that we desire to do. More than what we can't do, uh, we, we need to understand that there's a powerful thing we're called to that's actually positive, that's building, that's life-giving to us and to others. Rather, in fact, than less freedom, we oftentimes need freedom to work out how to use our freedom well. We need freedom in order to understand how to use our freedom well. So the motivations of our hearts are changed, and consequently, we're changed. So that's what we're talking about today. For the remainder of our time, we're going to talk about how our freedom leads uh, not just to an innocent conscience, because it would be easy at this point to start kind of processing like that, to be like, oh, well, like, the Lord's given us freedom from, like, performance standards and cultural standards, and to think, okay, well, that's all we need then. When in reality, uh, 
The freedom that Christ gives is meant to lead us to be spirit-empowered, justice-focused, love-rooted, Christ-centered people, right? That's what the freedom is actually given for. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to kind of trying to try to capture this idea uh, in, in three points. It might be two points, if I'm being honest. Y'all know, I get to that end point. Sometimes I'm like, yo, you got to leave some stuff on the table. But the three points we're going to try to work through are freedom's purpose, right? What, what is the, the meaning, the purpose behind freedom? Freedom's conflict. There seems to be some type of conflict in this as well. And then freedom's fuel. Freedom's fuel. So let's go ahead and get started in verse 13. Uh, through 15. Yeah, that's going to be chapter 5, 13 through 15. Let's read it together. I think it'll be on the board. I want to say I put it in there. Uh, But it starts like this in verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Okay, check this out. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that Paul has talked a ton about freedom so far. He's like the OG William Wallace, right? He is screaming freedom at the top of his lungs. and, And most people would say it's probably the main point of the book of Galatians, the freedom we have in Christ. And after several chapters of speaking about freedom, Paul is finally addressing a purpose of sort for the freedom, aka what am I supposed to do with this freedom? Okay, if we had left it just at freedom, here's the thing. We might be tempted to see freedom as some type of a long spiritual vacation, right? Nothing to do, nowhere to go, just the gradual easing of our consciousness, of a vacation uh, where we never have to feel any sense of guilt, never have to feel any sense of shame. uh, But there's something much more powerful going on here. Uh, And it's something much more powerful, but it's also something much more challenging, You see, you were called to be free, Paul says, yes, but you were called to use your freedom to love one another. That's the reason you were were made free. So what's the reason you were made free? To serve each other, to love one another. This is hard because in our minds, anytime we receive something in our culture, it's meant to benefit us. When I have a vacation day, I'll be honest, when I have a day off, there are times when I'm like, yo, this is my day. My kids get on my nerves on my day off. They'll be like, dude, I'm hungry. And I'll be like, dude, I'm hungry. Why don't you give me some food today, right? Like, this is the way we work. Uh, We have very self-satisfying desires. Yet he looks at us and says, you are called to use your freedom to love one another. Loving one another anchors our freedom. It, 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 It levels our freedom and gives it purpose and gives it direction. Right? Freedom, hear me. There's nothing worse than pointless freedom. Freedom with no purpose. Freedom with absolutely no motivation. It's lethal. It's lethal. In fact, it's hurtful. It, it's, it, it can damage us if we're not careful. This is captured really well in the movie The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know how many of y'all have seen uh, this flick, but it's a classic. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. All right? It's a movie about the wrongly imprisoned man, Andy Dufresne. Uh, and through the course of the movie, uh, several things are highlighted, uh, several of the prisoners, but, but one of the main ideas that's focused on through the movie is the idea of institutionalization. Institutionalization, this idea that people get used to the environment of prison. And so they, they tend to get used to the control that they experience, the, someone telling you what to do all the time, right? This, this sense of really no freedom whatsoever. And so when they get freedom, they don't know how to use it. They don't know how to use it. They don't know what to do. The freedom has no real purpose. It serves no real, no real higher meaning. 
In fact, sometimes they go and start to long back, long to be back in the control, back where there is no freedom because pointless freedom has left them empty. And so when some folks in this, in this movie get out, they start to feel purposeless, they start to feel lost. In fact, one character in the movie, after spending a short period of time outside, uh, takes his own life. Consequently, you're feeling that absence of purpose and feeling that absence of meaning. And they perfectly capture this start with a phrase in the movie, get busy living or get busy. All right, there we go. I thought I was about to be, I was about to be very disappointed in at least a few of y'all. They, get, they capture it well in this, this idea, get busy living or get busy dying. Paul wants to add purpose and weight to our freedom. So he gives the reason we're free, how we're supposed to use our freedom to serve one another in love. That's the idea. That's what it's about. That's why we were made free. Have you ever thought like, God, why me? Why'd you save me? That's why. That's why. So we could serve and love one another. And here's the thing. This type of idea should change our perspective dramatically. It should change our perspective dramatically because no longer now is my child misbehaving or a nuisance because of his or her actions. He or she is now my purpose. That's my purpose. Even in the midst of all of that, that frustration, my purpose for toward him, toward her, is to serve and love them, right? That, that's the purpose of my freedom. No longer is our spouse a burden or a hindrance to us or something like that, even when they're having their rough patches. No, that's your purpose. In the midst of the rough patches, to love and to serve, right? No longer is that friend or, or maybe that that. Uh, co-workers, I know that was it in somebody, right? It, it, no longer are they a burden, but now that's your purpose, to love, to serve. And that's why you were made free in Christ. No longer is that group of people and their struggle, just a sad situation. That's now your purpose, to love, to serve, to make whole, to, to make right, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and to care for that person. And hear me, I understand that all these relationships require boundaries to maintain a healthy uh, responsibility between two parties and to, to keep a healthy set of like, like emotional health. I get all that. Healthy boundaries that promote healthy relationships. But, but I want you to hear me. If you draw those boundaries in a way that you're never inconvenienced, those boundaries aren't built for your health. They're built for your selfishness. That's the reality. Because Paul would look at you. Paul would look at you and say, you, you've done nothing but imprisoned yourself uh, in really like an imprisonment of your own boundaries. And now your freedom has no purpose. You're not busy living. In fact, you're busy dying because you are living with purposeless freedom. Your eyes are only on you. And so you will eventually devour everything else around you in selfishness. And eventually your praying eyes like a predator will turn on yourself and you eventually devour yourself like a predator. That's the reality of our freedom. It's not a game. It, this is serious stuff. There's a purpose to it, and, and we're to pursue that purpose. But hear me, if you're anything like me, now let me, let me give an asterisk here. If you're anything like me, that's extraordinarily difficult. Everything I'm saying right now is like, I love that. I want to go be that. But the moment you really stop and think about it, you're like, that sounds extraordinarily hard. And I'm extraordinarily scared to even give that a shot. Because I know that like 36 hours from now, nay, 36 minutes from now, I'm going to be like, dude, I failed at that horribly. Right? And, and, and so selfishness is easy, right? Loving and serving is harder. 
But God speaking through the apostle doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't leave us with like, hey, here's your freedom. This is what you should do with it. Now go out and do it. He actually uh, continues in verse 16 and 18 and, and actually kind of adds more weight to it, but then really gives us some encouragement through it. Check out, check out freedom's conflict in verses 16 through 18. I say then, meaning in response to the reality that, that, um, that this is our purpose to serve one another, Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are now, in response to the reality of, hey, I'm supposed to serve people, I'm supposed to love people, I'm supposed to give of myself, to be sacrificial in my relationships with others. That's why I was given this freedom. You're to walk in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit will not allow us to gratify the flesh. That's the key. When it's hard, when it's difficult, you just got to walk by the Spirit. What does that even mean, though? All right, so if you're anything like me, again, you're reading that, and you're like, okay, cool, I have the answer. What is the answer? You know, like, so... Really, what does that mean? In short, it's to seek to glorify Jesus, right? This is the idea, to seek to understand, know, believe, and show the character of Jesus through how we live, what we desire, and what we're motivated by. In the moments when it's hard, that's the goal. In the moments when it's hard to look at our lives and say, God, help me, Spirit, help me glorify you in the midst of this. But this is the thing. This is still extremely hard to do. Giving it a definition doesn't make it any less hard to do. That's why there's a battle, a conflict between the spirit and the flesh. And that's why Paul invites us into this. There's a flesh in us. That is our old way of thinking, our old way of living, the things we used to love. And there's the spirit, the Holy Spirit that we received in salvation that now works in us for good and to make us look more like Jesus. And Paul, scripture right here is telling us that there's this beautiful, not beautiful, there's this uh, incredibly, like, uh, I had a word in my mind and I never wrote it down, but, but really this intense battle going on, right, in, in, our, in our hearts. They literally work in us. Think about this. They work in us so that the other one won't accomplish what it desires. That's what verse 17 means, right? That, that one is working, the spirit is working in order to decrease the, the fruit of the flesh and the flesh is working just to be like, let's try to stifle the work of the spirit. That's literally what's happening in you. But what is this conflict exactly? What is that? How are they working like that? What are they, why are they opposed? Because they function as two completely different motivations, two completely different set of desires going on inside of us. How are you getting that? Well, well in, in, the, in the verse uh, 15, that, that word desire right there, the desire of the flesh, that word has a unique connotation. It's more than just like saying, hey, the, the, what the flesh wants. It has the connotation of saying an over-desire, a, a, a sort of un, unreasonable desire. And this is important because what we usually think of when we think about sinful desire and we think about the wrestling match inside of us is that the Holy Spirit wants something good and my flesh wants something bad. And now it's this war between good and evil in my heart. When in reality, we don't necessarily desire a bad thing. More so, Paul's describing the desires of the flesh of being over desires of good things. The desires of the flesh are not to just do something evil all the time, not necessarily. Really, it's the idea that our flesh desires to take good things that are all around us and elevate them to the extent that they become ultimate things. You guys know this. It has a word. It's called idolatry. 
right? right? This, is, this is the competition in our heart. This idea of elevating something to mythic status. If, if I could just have this thing, then my life would be like this. In the midst of my life right now, if I could just get this one thing, if I could just go this one place, if I could just have this one accomplishment, if I could just get this bit of recognition, if I could have just this one more addition to my life, then that would make everything in my life perfectly fine. And it's this desire that's set opposed to the desire of the Spirit. And the desire of the Spirit is simple. It's Christ. The desire of the Spirit is simple. The desire to know him, to love him, to know his love, to receive his love, to be, whole, to be made whole by his love, to, to understand his love, and to walk in that love day and night. And the conflict lies in where we go to receive life. That's the conflict in our heart. Trying to find life in anything outside of Christ leads us to destruction because it leaves us continually searching, devouring any and everything in our path, thinking that we can somehow find more of the thing we long for if we just get a little more of the thing we're searching for. Contrasted to finding life in Christ leads to satisfaction. It frees us to love the people around us and to build them up because I'm no longer looking at them and saying, I need something from you. But we're looking at them saying, I have what I need. I want to give you what you need. Again, walk by the Spirit because that's what empowers us to, to serve and love others. And that's the purpose of our freedom. What does this mean? It means there's a battle going on inside of you, friend. That's what it means. It means there's a very real battle going on between over-desires of good things that lead us to sinful thoughts and actions, and on the other side, uh, the knowledge that Christ satisfies and a longing to, to pursue him and to know him. You feel that. I feel that. If we're being honest in this room, we feel that. Because if you ever wondered why you feel like you can't stop doing this certain thing that you, you hate yourself for, you despise yourself because of it, but it feels like you can't stop and you feel so low after every time that you do it. And it feels like a cycle. It's because of the way, uh, it, 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 it's because there's a, a, a battle, a, a war taking place, right? That thing inside of you that's raging, it's because there's an actual desire for Christ present. There's an actual desire and love for Jesus. And there is very real sinful desires there saying, no, we want to do something else. And, and we struggle and, and, and we, we, we fail, but there's hope because, because the reality is when we're in Christ, the real us is the one that longs for Jesus. That's the real you. You may fail. Look at me. You may fail. You may stumble. But because of the work of Jesus, the real you is not the one that stumbles. The real you is the one that's faithful. You may lose a battle, but you have pledged allegiance to the victor of the war. And that's the real you. That's the beauty found in this text, is that Paul understands there's a war going on. You're going to get hurt. There's going to be casualties. You're going to feel pain. But the beauty and the optimism of it all is that the real you is the one that clings to Jesus. That's the real you. The other one is an imposter waiting out his time to be driven out by the strong man and our Lord and Savior. That's the one that's going to go. Take hope. You're saved according to the will of God and his grace. There is hope even in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our downfalls, in the midst of our failures, friend. Right? 
So do we just wait out our life, right? Do we just recognize, like, that's going to be a struggle, going to be hard, just got to wait it out? Well, no, there's hope to grow now, too. There's hope to grow now, too. That, that's where we're going to finish this time, talking about the fuel of freedom, right? What, what fuels this freedom? What is, what is really the thing that helps us to grow? And I want to take a look at verses 24 through 26. And by the way, I'm skipping a lot of text, but I'm not trying to gloss over that middle part. We just literally don't have time. Like, I accidentally picked, like, like 18 verses to work through. And it's just, uh, if we're going to be here till 3, we can jump into it. Uh, but I'm assuming some of y'all are going to want to eat, and most of you, or at least some of you, are going to want to watch football as well. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we got at least three amens on the football piece. No amens on the food. But, um, yeah, so we're not, we're not glossing over that. Uh, this is really just a vice and virtue list. This is pretty common in the New Testament. Uh, in New Testament writers, this is a common thing you see. Uh, and really, it's meant to contrast the work of the spirit versus the work of the flesh. And here's the reality. You're going to find yourself in both those lists. You're going to find yourself in both those lists. You should find yourself in both those lists. If there's one list you think you're not a part of, you probably either think too highly or too lowly of yourself. And if there's, if there's one list that you think you're all the way in, again, probably too highly of yourself. Right? But, but, but hear me. They're, they're probably, if, if you look at that list and think this doesn't apply to me, either one of them, uh, there's probably just a little bit of correction needed, some encouragement or maybe some humility. Um, but yet, uh, e- even as we find ourselves in, in those two lists, the fruit uh, idea, and I'll just say this really quickly. This is really important. Um, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And through using that word fruit tells us that we are alive in Christ. Right? The reason fruit comes out is because it's connected to the roots. It's alive. It's growing. Um, It bears fruit. A tree bears fruit because it has life. It has roots. It has sustenance. It's gradual. Fruit doesn't come out overnight. It takes years sometimes to see real fruit come from certain types of plants. And so Paul wants us to see right from the bat that, yeah, these are the works of the flesh, but the works of the spirit are gradual. You ain't seen them lately? That's okay. Keep following. Keep loving. Be humble. The Lord's producing these things in you. Okay, so... That's that middle section. I wrote out a bunch of stuff for it that's just not in here. If you want that, hit me up. I'll send it to you. Uh, But yeah, let's go ahead and take a look at Freedom's Fuel, which is going to be 24 through 26. Uh, 24 says, now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right? How do we grow now? How do we grow now? Well, we, we walk in freedom. We, we, we remind ourselves of the freedom we have. We, we use our freedom well. And the way we do that, Paul gives us a few different little, little clues here at the end. The first, he says, remind yourself that you belong to Christ. Such a beautiful and powerful reminder. In the midst of the moments when you fail, and you will fail, Right, remind yourself that you belong to Jesus, that he has paid for your sins and that you now walk as one uh, righteous, completely clean, acceptable before him, his son, his daughter. The story we told last week about the dog that's completely obedient and the kid that's not. Who does the dad love more? Right, remind yourself of these truths. And from there, we learn to crucify the flesh 
to crucify the flesh. What does that mean? It means attacking the over-desires of our flesh, those motivations with the truth of Jesus, uh, that sat, the truth that Jesus satisfies us. In other words, preach the gospel to your heart. When, when there are these over-desires for other good things that you're elevating, you can see I'm elevating them. I'm, a, I'm going after them. I'm pursuing them with everything that I have, right? right. Do the scary work of not just acknowledging I've sinned, but start asking the question, why have I sinned? And that's a much scarier question. If you think acknowledging you've sinned is scary, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, why'd you do that? Is an extraordinarily, extraordinarily frightening activity. But once we begin to understand ourselves and understand why we do the things we do, it gives us the freedom and the power to strangle the life out of those things, to strangle the life out of those lies with the good news and truth that Jesus loves us, that he cares for us, that what he offers us can satisfy us. It gives us a space to strangle out those lies when we start to understand ourselves few caveats to this, and, and I, I just ripped this directly uh, from Tim Keller because these three points in a commentary he wrote, I was just like, this is too good not to say. Uh, but I had to, had to, had to make sure I, I give, give, uh, give the credit where credit is due. few things this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean be hard on yourself. What does crucifying the flesh look like and doing the hard work of knowing why we've sinned, not just that we've sinned? It doesn't mean to be hard on yourself. It means understanding yourself. Those are two very different things. It doesn't mean being hard on yourself. It means understanding yourself and worshiping him in response to understanding yourself more. Because the more you understand you, it just helps you understand what he already knows and what he already went to the cross to pay for. It's not the job of you to try to condemn yourself. It's the job of you to understand yourself and to apply the gospel to those places that you're learning about. Um, the second is that this is not a passive process. I thought that was just such a good statement. This is not a passive process. This is an active work of knowing yourself, and that does take work. It might require, hear me, it might require a journal. It might require, I, I use my phone, just the regular like Apple Notes app. I don't use, I've tried to use like fancy things where it's like, I'll remind you to take a journal and have all these features. And it's like, dude, just give me a piece of paper and, 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 a, and a, a page that looks like a piece of paper on my phone. And let me type out my feelings and my experiences let me type out the thing that I desired in that moment and try to figure out what my heart was longing for when I actually did go off the deep end there. What was going on in my heart? It might require counseling. That's not a bad thing. Counseling is not a bad thing. That is a good gift from the Lord. Okay? It might require asking someone for feedback, and that's hard. Asking someone for honest feedback. Not that part where you're like kind of, kind of like already feeling a little low and you're like, how did I do? But what they heard was like, tell me I'm great, right? Like, like not that feedback, but like honest feedback where it's like, hey, I really need to know how, what did I do wrong there? How can I grow in that? That type of space that opens you up for, for what feels like criticism, but, but is actually love. You guys heard me say a few weeks ago, right, that, that powerful like Oscar Wilde quote of how a friend stabs you in the back, but a I mean, a, an enemy stabs you in the back, but a friend stabs you in the front, right? This, this idea in practice. It will be work. It'll be work, but the work 
is worth it. So that's a few caveats on what it doesn't mean to crucify the flesh. Lastly, uh, the last thing Paul tells us here in terms of fuel for our freedom and living out our freedom is to keep in step with the Spirit. Right? In that, in that last verse, I want to say it might be verse like 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit, um, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, from what I can tell, right, what Paul's trying to communicate there is like, look out for how the Spirit of God is trying to lead you to Jesus in the midst of what's happening in your life. The Spirit of God, um, according to Jesus, was sent in order to glorify Jesus, to lead us to him. And on the path of life, life will lead us down roads where we're going to hurt. It will lead us down roads where we're going to suffer. And we'll have beautiful moments there as well. It'll lead us down spaces where we'll be able to celebrate things. We'll be excited about things. In the midst of all of that, Paul is saying, keep in step and recognize where the Spirit of God is trying to direct your vision toward Jesus in this moment. Maybe your suffering is meant to tell you and meant to usher you to the feet of Jesus, helping you realize that nothing in this world will satisfy you except him. And clinging to him, even in the midst of your suffering, maybe the most beautiful things in your life, maybe things are going great, but the spirit of God is trying to show you that these things are just an echo of the real joy that's yours in Christ eternal, right? Like maybe he's, he's doing something else in, in some neutral place. I don't, I don't know, but that's the, the work that we do, right? Is working through our lives and saying, spirit, in this season, good, bad, or the other, where are you showing me, Jesus? Capture my heart with Jesus. Melt my heart with Jesus and allow me to worship him so that my vision of him and his all-satisfying love and work are so elevated that they begin to swamp out and strangle the other motivations that are telling me these other things will satisfy me. Father, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Guide my attention and show me the beauty and majesty of Jesus in every space of my life. Keep in step with the Spirit. Friends, it's my, it's my prayer that as we, as we work through this idea, right, the, these, these ideas of freedom and why we do it and, and how the Lord has, has given us his freedom as a gift, but he's given it to us for a purpose. And, and he offers us and gives us by his grace, his Spirit in order uh, to guide us to understand how deeply loved we are by Jesus, the work that Jesus has done and how powerful and what it means for our life, that the Lord will, will work in us to bring about beautiful and powerful things. In your home and in your life, 100%, I hope that, I long for that. I pray for you every week. Um, I'm not going to continue. I'm going to start crying. So I pray for you. I love you. I'm praying that for you. But in addition, not just because we long to see Christ do something in us, but, but maybe equal to, maybe even more so, what my prayer and hope is that Christ will do in the lives of those around you. As a broken world, longing for something to, to meet aching eternal needs, walks around trying to figure it out, and they run across you, standing there and going, man, I'm... I'm good. My father loves me. And here's the thing. He loves you too. All right, man, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Because the gospel, again, this freedom, it's the last thing we're going to say before we close up here. This 
freedom that we've received is not just for us. It's why Paul, just a few verses prior to this, literally says, it's for freedom's sake that you've been set free, right? We've all heard that verse. Right? It's not just about us, but Christ loves us, satisfies us, builds us up, forgives us, makes us righteous, all for the sake of saying, now let's keep doing that work together. What a beautiful thing to be reminded of as we leave this place, respond in communion, sing a worship song, and then go out and open the doors to a muggy, maybe a little cloudy day, met by the reality that I'm going to cross people walking at lunch, at work, wherever, over the next week, who are looking at me and thinking, you must be having the same longings that I'm having. And you get to look back and go, but I have a, a satisfier that, that wants to meet you as well. What a beautiful truth. So that's our hope today as we consider the freedom that Christ has given us and how we're called to use it. And so let's go ahead and pray and end our time together. Uh, yeah, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, the fact that there is a war inside of us. We do not belittle that reality. There is a war um, and there is a, a very real old self inside of us that is trying to stifle the work that your spirit desires to do in us. That is not an unreal thing. We all experience and know that feeling. But Father, let us praise you today, knowing that your sovereign, powerful, almighty hand has already won the victory over that flesh. That we now walk in the knowledge that you, uh, through your spirit at work in us, have victory over that old self. And now we walk in the knowledge that we can apply the truth of who you are and what you've done and the realities of how you love us and how you care for us to those deepest parts of our heart that yell out, no, this isn't enough. No, I want this. No, I want that. We can now approach those lies with the truth of your love and be satisfied and therefore be changed by way of the good news of Jesus. Thank you. Help us, Father, um, to remind ourselves of those truths. Help us do the hard work of looking at the mirror and understanding ourselves more. Help us do the hard work of applying that truth in the deepest parts of our heart. We love you, we thank you, and we place ourselves in your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.